The future belongs to those who see the possibilities before they become obvious. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Welcome, welcome, Fireside Chats Without the Fires. Everything contact center, customer care, and call center. Neil Toff with my esteemed guest, Paul Catherell. Paul, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good, mate. I'm really good, Neil. How are you? You had a good week? Had a great week. Excited. It's Friday. It's May 1st, which means that, as we just said, that everybody outside the United States is on holiday. Uh, Those that are in the United States and those that work on U.S. schedules, I think we're we're back at it, right? Absolutely. No such thing as a day off, right? No such thing. Exactly. Let's get right into it. Paul and I had a uh, great little back and forth thinking about what our topic for the day was going to be. And I see on social media, everyone's talking about contact center of the future. What does the future hold? The crystal ball. And those are really fun topics, I think, to talk about. But I want to go out on a limb here, Paul, and I hope you'll bear with me. And, and I'm going to drop an F-bomb for just a second, you know, because I can do it. But I'm not, <laughs> going to say, I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to say the F word. I mean, just yeah. F with, with the letter. Who the okay. F cares about the contact center future? <laughs> F for future. Yeah. I think we need to talk about the present. What is the contact center? What is the customer care yeah. department of the present? We got to talk present, man. All the stuff <laughs> you have been talking about over the last couple of months is COVID-19 and what's going on. And rightly so. We got to talk about the present. We've got a better plan for what we're doing in the present. We're hopefully the world is starting to maybe flatten the curve a little bit. Customers and so, right. are starting to wake up a bit. They're starting to transact a bit more. What the heck are we doing? It, not in the F future, but the P present. <laughs> what do you think? I'm putting you on the spot, Paul. Paul Capital no on the customer <laughs> care department of the present. What do you got? No, no, no pressure on. Thanks so much for throwing the F bomb on pressure. the bomb present Yeah, pizza pressure. pressure. <laughs> and Paul. I'm Paul, right? There's too many P's there and too many F's. I, I think, Neil, I, I don't think it's a bad topic. In fact, I think it's a great topic. I 100% agree with you that we've been, over the past months since we've started this podcast, we've focused on what do we think the future looks like, right? And as you rightly called out, nobody knows what the future looks like. People will talk about automation. People will talk about, you know, having a percent of agents working from home, et cetera, et cetera. But nobody really knows what it's going to look at. So what does today's landscape look like what's going to happen basically you know within within near sight rather than far sight um i think for me neil the biggest thing that is worth its weight in gold and it may seem may seem trivial but it's it's so important it's an essential as electricity this is now the internet connection you have to have a reliable fast internet connection, not just in the office, which most people take for granted, but now at agents' homes, because we've now got, let's let's say, 80% of agents who are now working from home that are handling customer concerns without voice or non-voice, and there's occasions where they're not being able to handle a customer concern because their, their internet's dropping out for whatever it may be. So right now, I think for me, the most pressing concern is you've got to have it's trivial, right? But it's got you've got to have that internet stability that allows agents to handle customers' concerns when they call in or when they email in. That's my opening gambit, mate. Let me throw it back to you. 
What do you think, my friend? So I think absolutely. By the way, there are some internet connectivity challenges in this half of the world uh, that affected mm -hmm. North America and affected South America. We had, we, I got to tell you, in Colombia, we had a couple of small, quick outages, and they were not related to a single provider. They weren't related to uh, a single program. Like talking region wide, and as much as you, as hard as we all try to prepare and plan for these things, what are you going to do if the internet crashes? Exactly right. It's hard anyway. But no, I, I absolutely agree. I was looking at this, uh, Paul, from a bit of a different angle which is like all this stuff that we know and we've seen and observed in our own businesses, our own clients, our own customers. If you could just scrap it all and send it all to heck right now and say, you know what, I'm just going to rebuild Ooh. this thing now. Not for, not for the future, not in a year, not in a year and a half, but like now. Okay. You get the call center. I'm giving you and me, we're both getting the call center easy button, right? Or the customer <laughs> care easy button. You get to press the button and like all of a sudden your whole department gets restructured. Well, Here's what I think I would have the brand or the owner of the customers, right? The, the, the mm -hmm. company, the marketer, you've got to have someone that is running the contact center operation. Someone who's got the experience of, wait, let me think about this one. Paul Catherall. Someone who's <laughs> been there, done it, and is doing it. Someone who's got the experience who understands what it's like. Okay. What it's like to operate on behalf of of customers you've got to have simultaneously someone whose job it is to take the customer experience and defend and advocate for the mm. customer at the C level, at the board level, at the decision-making level. Someone's got to understand and advocate for that customer. It's so easy to trample on the customer without even thinking about it, making processes or breaking processes, not thinking through processes, not thinking through journey, not thinking through customer lifetime value. All these different friction points get created along the way, but it's exacerbated by people when they don't know or think about the customer and the journey and the experience. I'd like to have someone that has walked that journey and understood it sitting in the C-suite making decisions. I see all the time clients of ours some of them have that. Many of them don't have that. Some of them realize that they don't have that. They realize and wish that they could fix that and get the right person in the right leadership role. Others don't even have a clue. I think when you have someone that can advocate for that customer at the C-suite and has walked in those shoes um, and knows what it's like to interact and create experiences and create journey, journey mapping mm -hmm. and all those things, that, that's much better. That's one thing I would certainly start with. And there's a million other things, but, but I would start, you know, That's a great show. And, and build, build out from top down. Everyone talks about building from bottom up and bottom up is absolutely important. Frontline employees and call center agents, all, all of those things are critical. Absolutely. But I think yeah. you got to have a leader who's setting the vision, setting, defining the objectives, um, creating the strategy. I think without that, you wind up throwing some spaghetti at the wall and you're seeing some of it sticks and some of it just some falls it down as if, yeah. So, so, what do you I, think? I got a, I think that's great. I've got a follow-up question for you, though. So, let's say we hire this, um, this role. I'm, I don't know what we'll call it, like um, customer care advocacy role or whatever we call it, right? That person's going to report to the board. How would you expect that person to convince the board to pivot 
and look at customer experience as a real thing rather than looking at maybe, let's say, um, SLA or AHT or other KPIs? How would you go around or what would your advice be on how to make that transition or to get the board tuned in on the customer experience? Make sense? So, yeah, of course. It's, it's, it's the question to ask. So, um, slightly correctly, but slightly incorrectly, oftentimes this has been looked at things like, what is the cost to acquire the customer? What is the cost yeah. to service the customer? So we look at things like cost per call of the contact center, cost per call of the technology. We look at the average handle times down to the second and tenth of a second. We look at the service yeah. levels. All of those things are important. They are a portion of the customer journey and customer experience, but just a portion. Ultimately, okay. I think what matters is or are things like what are the CSAT scores? What are the uh, what it, maybe net promoter score? There's pluses and minuses to net promoter score, but I think it's a it gives it's better to have it than not. It at least gives you a sense of where, where things are at. Yeah, noting that it's not not the be all and end all. It's not the the holy grail, but it, it gives you a sense. Customer effort score, net promoter score, uh, customer satisfaction scores, first contact resolution or, or resolution percentage overall. Because some things sometimes you can't always include first as part of it. Um, yeah, yeah. I think those things and understand and then looking at reviews. You know, reviews are such a big thing now. Fortunately or unfortunately, for better or worse, reviews are important. What is the marketplace telling you? You know, they're sitting behind a keyword. They have the ability to score you and evaluate you in different places. What are they telling you? How do you quantify that? I think understanding voice of customer starts yeah. to give you an idea, and it will help you understand. And you've got to look at customer lifetime value. What is the lifetime value of your customer? What are they contributing minus what did it cost to acquire them? Basically, to get a net number. That's and I'm not. A, by the way, this is, there's a lot of science behind this, and, and I'm oversimplifying a very complex topic. But what is your customer lifetime value? What is it from year one to year two? What is it from month six to month twelve? Month one to month six to month twelve? Like you got to start to evaluate that stuff. And it, are all these efforts in technology and, and ridiculousness like cost per call and average channel time? Does that even matter in that stuff? That, customer lifetime value uh, is beyond uh, uh, the threshold that you're looking for. You're doing yeah. something right, and then you figure out how do you maximize that. And maybe you can maximize customer lifetime value. Talking for an extra minute, talking for an extra 39 and a half seconds. It's okay. It's not gonna, it's not gonna necessarily hurt you. I think those are things that I would look at. I love the question as you posed it. I think that there's so many that that's a podcast on itself in terms of KPIs, which KPIs and, and all that, you know, that we should be tracking from a customer experience standpoint. Um, so let's let's talk about Neil and Paul's new contact center that's going live on May the fourth, which is Star Wars Day. You'll work it out. You'll get there, right? There you go. The force will uh, be with us, yeah. May, may the force be with you, exactly. Right. So um, in terms of KPIs, Neil, do you throw out AHT and focus on maybe, like you were saying, the surveys? Um, do you focus, do you have that in, in such of a ranking order for the agents so they, they, they can see how well they're doing? Is that, do you still want that traditional um, feel in a contact center when it comes to stat base over performance. Do you what do you do you want AHT thrown in there? Do you want SLA? How, how do you see it working? I've I've got my own views, but I'd be really interested to hear what you have to say on that. 
So remember, we were, just before we hit the record button, we were talking a little bit about this, and I was talking about a client whose volume is going through the roof right now. Imagine yeah. this company sells a non-essential good. This good is selling like you wouldn't believe right now in times of quarantine when people are at home and don't need uh, the type of product that they market. Anyway, okay. I, I love it. I'm happy for them. Their business is thriving right now. It's wonderful. Um, the volume is through the roof, as I'd said, both phone volume and chat volume. You have to pay attention to average handle time because we have to figure out mathematically how many people do we need to answer the call or the chat? How long yeah. can we budget for them to, to, to take on the call? There's going to be deviations, but you look at the averages. The averages are important. They tell a part of the story. They help you predict how many people will I be able to serve? How many customers will I be able to hopefully serve? And if I serve them, am I serving them well? Am I not rushing them to get off the phone and hang up on them and make, creating a, a condition whereby they'll call back tomorrow or, or later? Yep. Or they'll feel frustrated and tweet out that they hate the brand and they, or they cancel their purchase or return <laughs> it or charge back or something. You know, bad behaviors that are created and initiated by us. We can't have yep. that. So yeah. things like service levels and average handle time are critical. They're important. Don't get me wrong. But they're yeah. not the holy grail. They are part of the story. They're part of the journey. It influences yeah. how we build this department. But they're certainly not the uh, top line number that I would look at to evaluate, are my customers happy or not? It's a portion, but it's not the entire, uh, the entire pie. Excellent. I have another question for you in terms of management, right? So management of the contact center or the customer service area that we're talking about regarding linking the client to the vendor world, would you have a account manager or account director and an operations director, or would you merge those roles and call it maybe an ops director and have that person responsible for the contact center delivery as well as updates and communication with the client. What, what's your thoughts on that? So in full disclosure, you and I have not talked about this before. I'm shocked no. that you bring it up because literally you just described a portion of what's going on in our business right now. We oh, really? have okay. <laughs> overthrown and overhauled how we've done the traditional account management for our clients okay. and how we've done the operations role, the, the management on the floor level. So we used to have a thing called client services. And client yeah. services, you know, would sit not on the contact center floor and was not geographically close to the contact center. They were managing the accounts and handling some of the day-to-day -day and fielding a request and being the spokesperson of the meeting and the calibration session and the performance reviews and things like that. Yeah, it worked okay. But okay. you know what? Shame on us. We did not do a good job. For me and what we've – and this just gets into a bit about our company. We've, we've kind of rebranded that whole effort and we've – we scrapped client services as we knew it, and we okay. just literally birthed a new department called client success. Client mm. success has a person that is on the floor level, in direct day-to-day -day physical contact, seeing, well, not in COVID necessarily, but yeah, when, yeah. when we have the contact, contact center floor back, who's walking the floor looking and responsible for understanding and telling the story to the client sharing the story, pushing for mm. driving. It's at an operations role. The operations reports to the operations manager. 
Okay. That is also a new, a new figure for us. We didn't ever had an operations manager. We had program managers that were managing both operations and clients. Yeah, yeah. Do that. It's far, both are far too complex. We, we ask way too much of our people. So we've divvied it up. The, there's an operations manager who's responsible for everything that's happening on the floor. Yep. The client success manager is responsible for communicating to the client, telling stories, it. managing the day-to-day ins and outs of the business and being the spokesperson, being the communicator, being that storyteller. And I think that will help us to do a better job of conveying what it means for a client to be successful, what their performance looks like, what they really expect of us, what, um, how we communicate and handle their business in a way that makes them comfortable and confident in us. Rather than asking just one person to do it all, far we bit off far more than we could chew with that one. So we've we've literally just birthed the notion of client success. What, what's your feeling this? Because you you're you're on the other side of it for, for us. So you've got you know you you've got vendors or partners that you're managing. Yeah. How do you like your business and your business relationship to be handled? That that's a great question. So if I go back maybe two or three years, I was an advocate of having it set up like you've set up. So you have a separate um, client services or client success. I love that title, by the way, client success and then operations, right? I loved that three or four years ago and it seemed to work well. However, since then, what I've noticed is operations directors or operations, yeah, operation directors at that level now have or have developed the skill set, whether it's been ingrained to them or they've got it naturally to be able to talk to clients and to work with what they want to achieve in terms of where the business is going. Um, mm-hmm. I do feel that there's a need for that client, the customer, the client manager, the, the, the client services role, call it what you will. Um, but the, that part there, if you're going to go down that route, you, the, that, the client services and operations need to be so much in sync that it's basically, you know, it's like talking to the same person. So my personal preference at the moment is you have one go-to um, and it works well for us. But Neil, we are, in terms of headcount, we are, we're not a large, you know, client in terms of, of headcount. In terms of call volume, we're large, but in terms of actual headcount, bums on seats, you know, we're not that, we're not that large. So for us, it works. But when you start to look at, you know, FTEs of 500 to 1,000, that's when I think you need that balance between client services and an ops director. And again, ops the ops director only works if they're dedicated to the account. If they're dedicated yep. to that account and they don't have any other accounts, then it works. That's that's the real benefit of that client services role there. That if that if the operations director isn't dedicated, then they have that support there. So yeah, it works. So yeah. are we saying the, for the us, economics. Yeah. The, the, the economics of the contact center uh, sometimes they permit champagne budget. Sometimes they permit beer budget. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's everyone wants the champagne budget, but you know, it's not, not always there. Ever, right? this, yeah, exactly. this is what where where yeah, everyone would like to have the dedicated account manager and then the dedicated operations manager and the dedicated workforce manager and the dedicated QA team and the dedicated this and dedicated that. Well, if the money is there, the budget is there. If the technology is there to automate stuff and take stuff off people's plates, sure. Take responsibilities away. Absolutely segment it, build silos. But then you often find that stuff that gets too siloed and too 
too separated and then you get want to have it go back it's it's a yin yeah. and yang it's a you know if you I, I don't like communism or marxism but if you're you know the dialectic <laughs> of this and you know one gives way to the other like you know it's it, the grass is always green i think on the other side right no you're you right want what you can't necessarily have and and those things would be wonderful to have but as you said not everybody can have so so if we go to our contact center of the or sorry customer services um, of the of, of today we have this customer experience advocacy role so he's kind of the top dog are you wanting that person to have exposure from a client and a vendor perspective you do you want is, it would that be the the ideal mix or is it more of a operations role what, how how do you see that we'll we'll go through so, the other layers but i think that uh in in the enterprises where we've seen this done successfully yeah usually there's a what what is called vendor manager role vendor manager vendor director vendor whatever someone who's in charge of the relationship with the vendors by the way yeah i think that's an art as you clearly have done it very well it's an art managing a vendor managing a contact center vendor and, and that's a whole separate podcast i think for us Absolutely. those are <laughs> those require very unique skills we've seen Oh, that you know, such and such was great at uh, you know, in the context center floor as an agent or a supervisor. Yeah, let's promote him and have him be the vendor manager. Yeah. Man, that is the biggest error. We we've seen that take place far, far too many times for our own liking. And um that's wrong. I agree. Just because someone's yeah. good in the context center floor doesn't mean they're a good vendor manager. I wish that there were courses and and certifications that could be achieved to understand how to effectively manage a contact center vendor. Yeah. Right. I agree, man. I agree. So you you got that role. Then we've got the operations director and client services. Or, oh, sorry, you call it client success, which I think is a great a great title, mate. I, I will give you. I'll doff my cap to you. I think that's wonderful. Um, in terms of in terms of now, let's so let's go down the level. Now let's go to kind of the day to day running of, of of operations. Would you would you have team leaders? So you have to have team leaders. Okay. Said everyone before COVID. <laughs> I love the so play. this is an interesting question and I'm asking it and I don't have the answer. And I'm, I'm yeah, saying yeah. it for this reason. So we know that the team lead or so in our world, we call them supervisors or the person that's mm-hmm. walking the floor and making sure that people are doing their jobs and also able to help in an escalation or something like that. Um, when they're physically there and can walk the floor, absolutely. And work from home, I'm asking the question. I got to tell you, I'm on the fence. Part of me says, yes, yeah. absolutely need you need it. You have to have someone who's helped managing queue and adherence and, and able also to take escalations if necessary. But do you need as many? I don't know. We're looking at it. I'm asking the question. I'm yeah. not fully convinced that we need to have as many team leads. So in our world, typically, you know, we get asked this question all the time, especially in an RFP. How many team leads do you have per agent? Everyone loves to ask that question. It's like the litmus <laughs> test of like if you know what you're doing or not. And so our answer is uh, the, the the standard answer that you're supposed to give is you know between twelve and twelve to fifteen agents per yeah. supervisor, and that's about what we try to do. And sometimes it goes up to twenty depending on the program, but no, certainly no more than twenty. But as we go through this exercise of work from home and, and hybrid work from home slash brick and mortar. I don't know. I think that world may adjust itself, right? 
It, it's interesting, right? And I, I, I'm, I'm the same with you. I think pre-COVID, you absolutely needed team leaders uh, or supervisors or team managers, whatever you wanted to call them, because um, a frontline age would come in and gave and give you maybe 80, 85, maybe 90%, but you needed a team leader to get them to that 100% mark in terms of effort and performance, right? Um, what I've seen is I've seen the great team leaders or inspiration leaders let's let's use that let's use that as a terminology inspirational leaders on the floor who can feel engage their account and their campaign and their performance so they know within a heartbeat whether or not they're going to hit the sales conversion for that day or whether or not they're going to hit their csat for that day they just know it right i've seen those guys who have had to go to remote managing they've really struggled because it's completely taking them out of their comfort zone because they're so used to touching Neil on the shoulder and saying, hey, mate, I see you're struggling today. Let's do this. You know, let's, let's go outside. Let's go and have a coffee, right? Or let's just take your mind yeah. off it. I think that role has struggled um, and that role is morphing. And what I'm seeing now is the team leaders that were, I'm not sure if diligent is the right word, but they would spend more time getting to know their staff, getting to know the, the, the frontline agents. So they would, they still have that bond. They're still able to influence and direct those agents in terms of performance, whether they're sat next to Neil, the agent, or whether they're, you know, zooming in or doing it through Google Meets. So I think that's changed. I don't know how it's going to play out post COVID, but certainly now you need, you need that type of team leader. So you need a team leader. I don't know what the ratios are, but in terms of kind of the management style, I see that drastically shift over the past three or four weeks if that sure. helps me yeah it'll be interesting to see how all that that comes out again yeah you know you, you look to brad cleveland and to icmi mm. and to the guys that have written the books 12 to 15 is probably the the appropriate range but then again i i you know if i were able to be a little bit obnoxious and could push back a little bit i i, I would like to be able to ask on on these rfps that we get well, how many are you willing to pay for? You want to have dedicated? <laughs> you get dedicated, sure. But you know, it comes down to budget it, again, it, right? It comes down to budget. You know, a supervisor, depending on the country that you're in, thirty thousand dollars, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, depending on what the skill set that's needed. You know, um, does does the operation support that? If it does, wonderful. We'll add as many team leads as you want. You want a, a ratio of one to one? Happy to add it for you. I, I, one to two? To pay it. Love it. We'll do it all day long. Oh, you mean you don't have the budget for it? Ah, okay. You, you mean we're talking about we're talking about Budweiser. <laughs> we're not, not talking about Moe Shandon. You know what I mean? It's it's <laughs> yeah. those are tough questions that, that that have to be asked. By the way, I think that's where the role of a good vendor manager comes in. That's where the the role of someone who understands the contact center at the high level. Yes. And understands yeah, yeah. the economics. And it's not just serve the customers, do it, do it, do it. Someone who's walked through this thing and set up an operation, understand what it's like sometimes to sit behind those those funds, phones and sit in the workstation and be supervised by a supervisor or to be that yeah. supervisor, know what it's like to supervise the frontline teams. All that stuff is critical. But I think I think we've what we found here, Paul, as, as I think we're kind of coming up on the on, on, on almost the cutoff point is there's a ton of yeah. really cool topics in here that we could certainly expand on. There I would is. love to know. And those that are hopefully still with us and listening to this when you downloaded <laughs> it is Give us some feedback. What do, what do you think? Yeah. Are, are, am I going off on a useless rant about contact center of the future and what I'm worried more about the present? What is the present <laughs> going to look like? 
but give us feedback. Okay, Rant right. back at us. Give us give us ideas. Are we crazy? Are we spot on? Have right. you been in that vendor manager role where you're managing the BPO? Have you been in the role of being the BPO being managed by the Paul Catherall's of the world? <laughs> That's horrible. Caveat, uh, a, a, a simple push. You won't find a better vendor manager than that guy. Thank you. Thank you very much. So amazing topics, amazing feedback. This, this was sensational. Um, Paul, I think we're, we're up, like I said, here the hour. Let's, okay. let's close it out. Um, yep. Those that are with us, thank you. Give us feedback. Paul, remind everyone your Twitter handle and how they find you. Yeah, so we've got a couple of handlers you can get through us on Twitter. The main one really is at ChatsFire. I'll say that again. That's at ChatsFire. We can be found on Twitter. Also, if you want to use the hashtag CXConvos or C or hashtag ChatsFires, you can find us on there. And by all means, please, as Neil said there, let us know any topics, any any concerns, or even if you think we're going in the right or wrong direction, we would love to hear your feedback. Neil, I love these. I love our weekly podcast, mate. It really makes my, my week. It's something to look forward to. And as The Cure once said, it's Friday. I'm in love. Love it, man. Happy to do this journey together, Paul. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Amazing feedback. Oh, by the way, just for those that don't speak British, that's at ChatsFire. Chat oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just for those of us that are so, that are too un, not sophisticated enough to speak, you know, the proper Queen's English, chats fire <laughs> at chats fire. Uh, we've got that that handle out there now. Keep in touch with us. Please. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it once again. This is Neil Toffin, Paul Catherall, Fireside Chats without the fires. Thanks for joining us. This has been another episode of Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. Follow Neil and Paul on Twitter at Neil Toff and at PaulCat72. Podcast feedback and topic suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.